Yeah, let's welcome along our vet, Dr. David Tabret. Hello. Hello, Dr. Dave Cochran. Yes, interesting topic today, diseases that can be transferred between humans and animals. Mm, they go by the name of zoonoses, and there's quite a few of them, so I thought we might uh, just bring people up to speed on what that's all about. As we welcome along Daniel Carrington, good afternoon. G'day, Dave. And a special guest with you. Look, um, I thought today, why not talk a little bit about small animals? We often talk about dogs and cats, but we don't talk about small animals enough when it comes to, like, our pet rabbits, pet mice, pet rats, pet guinea pigs. And I've got Michael Silvestri, and he's an expert when it comes to housing and taking care of, of, of small animals. And we'll talk about the bedding, the types of litter you could use in your house for your pet rabbit or pet guinea pig or rat and mouse. Hi, Michael. Thanks for joining us today. Good morning, Daniel. Good morning, everyone else. Now, look, um, in terms of, my, I guess, my first question I'm thinking about, it's important that these animals, these pets, thrive in their small little environment that we put them in. Um, but what's the best way to house the small animals, such as rabbits, guinea pigs, mice, rats? Um, there's a few things we need to uh, consider and uh, certainly choosing the appropriate size enclosure, just making mm -hmm. sure they've got plenty of room to move around. Um, they'd like to have some items in there to keep them active and entertained. And as you mentioned uh, a second ago, the right substrate or the right bedding for them uh, will help them thrive and also help keep odours down and, and bacteria down. Well, yeah, I guess what is the correct or why do I need, I should say, the bedding or the substrate in their environment? Yeah, good question. Um, look, most small animals, the ones you spoke about, uh, they like to burrow, so they need something to dig themselves into. They want to feel safe. So bedding provides that, that opportunity, um, gives them a comfortable place to feel relaxed and secure, and, uh, and also the right substrate will also help control you know, odours and bacteria, so it's good for the, uh, for the pet keeper as well or pet owner. I guess that is important, as you say, the odour bacteria, the cleanliness of the environment and making sure it stays clean. Um, when I think about um, the available, available bedding materials that pet stores do carry, um, I'll, I'll actually go through them with you one by one and maybe you can tell us the pros and cons or the benefits of these types of, of products or these types of materials. And one of the, the, the ones that's been around the longest is hay and straw. Um, what, a, what is hay and straw like as bedding material for these pets? Generally, hay and straw, you're right, has been around for a long time and always been considered to be a good, a good option. Um, but uh, probably top of the downsides with hay and straw are they can be quite dusty um, and they're not very absorbent. So um, if you had just hay and straw in your enclosure, it would become smelly um, rather quickly and also dust... Because small animals have quite sensitive airways, dust is uh, is a consideration we need to take care of, uh, need to think about. Um, can dust be a, a problem to our small pets? Definitely. Um, like I said, they have uh, quite sensitive airways, so we <laughs> don't want to have them in a too dusty environment because they can um, um, develop some breathing issues. And uh, probably one other thing with hay and straw is, depending on the size of the animal, but like if you're talking small small mice and rats especially, they can become entangled uh, or tangled mm -hmm. stalks and, uh, and hay stalks and straw stalks can, can be quite sharp. So, What about recycled cardboard? That's good. It's uh, popular because it's inexpensive. Um, probably its downside, again, is its low absorbency. 
um, yep. which means it'll become smelly. Um, and if we've got odour, we've we've got bacteria. So there are a couple of things we need to uh, consider. Um, so what? that's what? not qu- sorry. Sorry, go on. Just going to say it's not quite as bad as hay or straw um, or paper, but it, it's not very absorbent. The one of the more popular choices is is the paper. Uh, cat litters, newspaper cat litters that are in the form of pellets. Um, mm-hmm. Tell us a little bit about those. Uh, they're very good. Uh, they're highly absorbent, so they're controlling the odour and also um, bacteria. And um, But the thing with them is they can be expensive. So uh, one way to overcome this is you can use paper litters in the litter tray, um, which encourages the animal to use the litter tray, um, and use a different bedding material for the main floor. Um, mm-hmm. If you're considering using paper litters, um, 100% recycled paper is always probably the best option because um, some paper-based cat litters can contain unpleasant um, chemicals um, left over from their ma- manufacturer. And these chemicals aren't generally an issue for the cat because the cat just uses them to toilet. But um, for small animals, some of them like to eat their bedding and so you yeah. don't want them ingesting any, uh, any nasty chemicals. Well, that's a good point, actually, that you make in terms of thinking about the fact that what their their bedding is is they could be ingesting that as well. Yeah, well, especially the rats and mice like to eat their bedding, um, mm. so uh, we need to be uh, you know conscious of what they're uh, what they're what they're sleeping on. Now, what about you know everyone's got a home office these days and a little shredder. What about shredded paper? It's cheap, so it's and it's readily available. Um, but it does a bit like hay and straw has quite, and cardboard has quite a poor absorbency. Um, so again, it's going to become smelly. Um, there's bacteria also, so it means you're going to have to be changing the uh, the bedding quite regularly. Plus, if you're using printed paper, newspapers, for example, again has the potential to contain chemicals um, oh. that might be eaten if too much is ingested. And also shredding paper, just the process um, creates quite a bit of dust. So you need to consider that as well. What about soft wood shavings? Good. A good option. Soft wood shavings is probably one of the most commonly used and, and generally one of the widely most widely accepted. Um, it's, high, it's really absorbent. It's reasonably priced. And um, so it, it, it's good at keeping down odour and bacteria. Um, there are a couple of wood shavings you would stay away from, pine and red cedar, for instance. Um, there's a there's a hydrocarbon called phenol, which gives pine um, and cedar wood shavings their nice smell, but uh, that's actually an acid. It's a, it's a kind of acid, so when that's inhaled, um, it can can attack the animal's uh, sensitive airways, which uh, which also um, is going to cause them some issues, and also it can affect their liver. Certainly, in rabbits, there's been a lot of uh, there's been a lot of work done to see that phenols have been uh, responsible for um, um, liver disease in rabbits. What about um, if we're looking at, um, as we're saying, those shavings? Don't they cause dust as well? They can be, um, and along with sawdust. So you want to look for a shaving that's that's been heat treated uh, mm. because that will um, have, uh, generally treats the phenols and also um, kiln dried um, wood shavings does uh, does go a long way to removing the dust as well. So you can buy wood shavings that are heat treated for the phenols and also de-dusted. Uh, mm-hmm. They're the things you should be looking at. So you want to know what kind of wood shaving you're getting. 
um, as I said, avoiding pine and cedar, getting one ideally that's been heat treated, so kiln dried, and then also one that's been de-dusted. It's not as simple as you think. I mean, we've gone through quite a lot of different products that you could choose and what to be wary of. So I guess my last question would be to you, what should you look for in a bedding for your your small animal, your pets? Yeah, it's, uh, it's a good question, and you're right, it should be easy, but it isn't. Um, bedding, you want a bedding, obviously, that's safe and suited for, for the animal, um, and like, I, like we said, they've got sensitive airways, so we need to consider that. Um, something that's controlling the odour and the germs, um, a bedding that's absorbent, uh, bedding that's natural, ideally organic, because in case they ingest it, and then something, obviously, that's inexpensive. So sometimes... A way to do this is to mix a couple of beddings together mm-hmm. to maximise their good points. So you might you might combine an expensive litter with inex- inexpensive fillers like wood shavings to bulk it out, um, and that that can uh, help give you a good result and also um, help keep the cost down. I know um, with one of the products we have in terms of um, bedding for small animals, they are. A lot of the benefits you talk about there with, with the fact that it has been cleaned, it does absorb odours and germs and, and is, is less dusty, which is the Chipsy product. And that seems to be really good and people are giving good feedback in regards to that because of all those factors. Yeah, well, Chipsy, Chipsy Ranger products, they're made in Germany. They're sold all around the world, um, used by a lot of zoos and, um, and, and animal rescue centres around the world as well. As you say, they're de-dusted, kiln-dried, um, tick a lot of the boxes in relation to what um, what you're looking for. Um, they're organic um, and um, biodegradable. I know that they're sourced from, um, from purposely uh, planted forests and have a certification for that. So it's a product that um, is inexpensive, readily available, um, and uh, will tick all the boxes that we've been looking for. Michael, thanks for your time. Thanks for talking about bedding when it comes to our small little furry friends, which are always cute and exciting. And uh, we'll chat another time, no doubt. Well, I appreciate it. Thanks very much. Have a good day. Our vet, Dr. David Tabbert, is here. And our topic today is looking at the transfer of some diseases mm. from humans to animals. So this is known as zoonoses mm-hmm. or zoonotic diseases. So it doesn't mean you're going to the zoo, uh, but it obviously relates to animals, and that's where... We come in. How often and how common can it be? It's very interesting um, when we look through either popular media or even when you start to research this. And I went to Wikipedia and it told me that uh, of the 1,415 organisms known to be uh, cause disease in people, Mm -hmm. uh, about 61% can be transmitted from animals. So we're talking a pretty large... Uh, number of diseases that can reside in uh, and cause disease in pets and farm animals and so on and subsequently can transmit to people. Now, the ones that we tend to think of, I guess locally, at least the big one that's been on the news for the last five to ten years is Hendra virus, Mm. which is uh, coming from horses to people. It's been found, as we know, there's a carrier state in uh, bats. And uh, we've also detected uh, the virus and antibodies to it in dogs, so it can jump through different species. The only known cases, though, that have occurred in people is where uh, people have been exposed to bodily fl- infectious bodily fluids from horses 
uh, through that pathway. And as we also know, it's an incredibly serious disease with a very high degree of illness and a very high degree or rate of death in affected people. That was the Hendra virus, and there's been a bit of a scare about that, even going back a couple of years ago for our, around New South Wales from Queensland. Well, absolutely, and we're always... Uh, you know, on surveillance for these sort of things. There's a whole uh, host of uh, things that people are doing to protect themselves. There's vaccinations have been developed, which if you consider this disease was, you know, only discovered in the last decade or so, um, that the work that's been done to get to this state where we've got a vaccination available, that's an incredible amount of science and full credit to the um, people who've gone and done that work. There's a whole lot, a lot of other diseases, and I was reminded of this. Um, uh, there was an episode in Sydney at a veterinary hospital where um, a cat came in to have a caesarean, and uh, the cat, the caesarean was done, the kittens were delivered, and subsequently a number of staff members got sick. Mm. And it turns out that the illness was called Q fever, uh, which is caused by an organism called Coxiella burnetii, and subsequently also is it some other people in the practice who weren't they were not even in the building the day the cat was there also got sick so this organism hung around uh, enough to transmit to other people um many years ago i was contacted by uh, the department of health because there was a q fever outbreak at a property at which i had visited a year before as a veterinarian and so I was asked to go to my GP and get a blood test done. And it turns out that I had been exposed to Q fever. I had antibodies to it. And some people it causes just a mild flu-like symptoms. But in other people it can be quite debilitating and you can end up with similar to chronic fatigue and you know bedridden for years and so on. So uh, the, the way that these diseases present can often, when they're coming from species to species, they can sometimes be quite erratic in their appearance. Um, but on the other hand, because we've had, say, domesticated dogs, cats, um, if you think about some of the farm animals, we've had closer connection and uh, bodily connection with them in our environment for a long time, thousands of mm -hmm. years. So some of those diseases we recognize, you know, for instance, some of the uh, gut diseases like E. coli, salmonella, um, generally are thought to come from animals in most situations, but obviously can also cause disease in people. Is there any diseases that we get from birds? Yes, uh, absolutely. The, I guess the main one we are most concerned about is uh, chlamydiosis or psittacosis. And anyone who has uh, birds, parrots of any kind would be quite familiar with, or at least they should be, uh, how to protect themselves against psittacosis. So... It's a, a widespread disease, and I remember working in a practice where we saw a lot of birds, and it was at the forefront of our mind all the time. You know, a sick bird could come in, it could have this disease. How do we prevent it or at least protect ourselves uh, for the people who own the bird and also the people handling the bird, the veterinary staff? Um, and also we've had outbreaks of avian influenza, and uh, the SARS virus over in Southeast Asia, which jumped across the Pacific, it's rapidly spreading mm. because it's aerosolized, it can be breathed out. So we have to be very cautious around those things. And we know that a lot of people took protection. You know, they wear face masks. And uh, um, I think there's a few basic principles for people. I don't want you to be alarmed, but certainly to be alert, 
basic thing, hygiene applies. So if you're playing with your pets, make sure you wash your hands well afterwards. Um, if you're then going to sit down and eat, make sure you're washing your hands because you don't want anything on your skin transmitted into your mouth. If your uh, pet has toileted outside, um, cleaning up after them, obviously, as frequently as possible. If you have a cat, um, the recommendation is that you wear gloves when you're cleaning the litter tray because it is possible for a disease such as toxoplasmosis to transmit um, and it can be incredibly dangerous, particularly to women who are pregnant. So wearing gloves and uh, just making sure you practice basic hygiene um, and try not to kiss your pets on the face. Mm.